0: Way through Genesis, lots of uh, great times we've had in this book. I'm really enjoying going through it with you. Um, 46 here is another exciting chapter. Joseph is uh, bringing his family into the land of Egypt to preserve them from the famine. We see all of God's details working out and all of God's goodness being expressed to his people. Father, we just thank you tonight for your hand in our life that moves us and keeps us and guides us. Father, as we study this chapter, I pray, Lord God, that you would open it up to us and that you would give us insight, Lord, into our own lives, into our own daily routine, into our own choices. Father, that this would affect us and this would challenge us and stretch us. Father, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it awesome that when we come together and enjoy the word, it's not just reading from a book? You know, this is not a book club. This is the living, breathing word of God. And whether you like it or not, when you listen to it, it's going to change you. You can cooperate with it or you can fight against it, but it's still going to change you. So title of this section in 46 here is Jacob Moves to Egypt. Now I'm going to read the most of this here, but there's a genealogy in the middle of all of those that come out of the land of Egypt, and I'm going to give you a handout for that, and then I'm going to have Kim come up and pronounce all those difficult names. Um, but I'll read, and then I'll, I'll skip the genealogy, and we'll come back to that. So don't, don't get excited if I, if I leave it out. So Israel, talking of Jacob, set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and the little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now in verse eight here, it starts the lineage. It talks about uh, the descendants that he brings. We're gonna skip over that and jump down to verse uh, 26. It says, all the persons who belong to Jacob Who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were sixty six persons in all, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, whom were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation... Listen to this. You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So interesting, the Egyptians don't appreciate a good steak. But I don't know what you do without livestock. So we're going to come back to that genealogy and go over it. Let's jump back to verse 1 of 46. Jacob is an old man and he has an opportunity before him. Now, do you ever notice in life when you're young, you, you have a lot of energy, but you may not have a lot of opportunity? Yeah, right. Anyone ever notice that? You, when you're young, you have a lot of energy, but you may, not, you, know, you, you may not have the assets to do what you want. I've noticed the older I get, I get more opportunity and more assets and more experience, but less energy. Isn't it true? You know, and they, they say youth is wasted on the young. And, you know, you really have to pay your dues when you're young, and you, you work hard, and you, you, you make your way, and you, you get your skills. But when you come into your later years, that's, you know, when your earning potential is reached. And, you know, there's so many opportunities that come, and we have to keep ourselves fit physically and spiritually. Amen. So that when the opportunity comes, we can't sit there and be like, I, I, don't have, I can't. Jacob has this opportunity set before him. His son Joseph is alive. Now, it requires a lot of energy, and it requires a big geographical move. Now, this is huge. You notice, again, the older you get, the more you don't want to change. You don't want to move. In fact, the older you get, you don't want to do anything or go anywhere. If you got to put pants on, it's a lot of work. Come on, can we just be real in the house of God? And, and here he is. This guy is an old man. He's worn out. His life has beat him up. He's been through a lot. His sons have driven him crazy. He lost his favorite son. He thinks he's dead. Now he's alive. So he's got all of this in front of him, and he's an old man. Many times you think, God, why do you do this to us? It's because he doesn't want us to do things in our strength. He wants us to do them in his strength. It's amazing how God will just let us wear ourselves out. And sometimes I think He looks down at me and He goes, You all done down there? You all out of energy? All right, now I can use you. Now I can move you. So here's Jacob, an old man. He needs to make this geographical move. It's a big request here. He has to move with everything he has and everyone he has. And he's willing to make the move. The entire family packs up in verse 1. I mean, just think about that for a second. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, isaac so he makes the move he packs up everything he has now realize he's moving from canaan the promised land into egypt spiritually that's a questionable move hello and if god didn't tell him to do that i would counsel him that that's a bad move egypt was the epicenter of the world It was the epicenter of idolatry and carnality. It was the epicenter of everything cultural and everything uh, knowledge. I mean, it was the epicenter of the known world right there. He's going from this rural nomadic lifestyle as a herdsman where he's got, he knows what he's doing. Now he's moving out of that comfortable place into a city that he's not familiar with, into a culture that he shouldn't assimilate in, hello, And it it is a big move. From the city, uh, from the country to the city, out of his comfort zone, he was blessed in the country. He was blessed nomadically moving around and God had given him favor. He'd become wildly prosperous out there. Now he has to leave all of that and go into the unknown. Wow, just like Abraham. God requires us many times to leave. You know, we hear it all the time, comfort zone, comfort zone, comfort zone. Did you ever get sick of hearing that? You know, oh, well, you're, you're too comfortable. You're too, uh, can I be comfortable for two minutes? You know? Maybe I'm just venting tonight. I don't know if I'm preaching or venting. But it's like it seems like the second you get comfortable, God's like, all right, let's shake it up. Let's move it up. Let's, uh, you know, and, and he knows what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing with... Jacob here. And you know, I got to say, to make this move, it's a great risk. To make this move, it, th- it takes faith and it takes guts. And Jacob is willing to do it. Amen. There's a lot of people who would just say, ah, forget it. Um, I'm done. I'm too old. Can't move. Can't change. Can't be useful anymore. I'm done. I'm on the sidelines. But not Jacob. He, he has the faith to do it. Now on his way to Egypt, he passes through Beersheba. And that's where beer was invented. No, that's not true. He takes the opportunity to make sacrifices there. Now, we're going to talk about really what Beersheba is. It's it's a place where uh, there was an oath made there. Abraham dug a well there and made a covenant there with Abimelech, and the scholars refer to that place as the city of the patriarchs. Now, Beersheba literally means well of the oath, okay? Now, This is a significant place here because the well was dug. The covenant was made. Abraham set out there. Uh, Beersheba was significant to Abraham. It was significant to Isaac. And now it is going to be significant to Jacob. It's his last stop from everything he ever knows into a new world. And before he goes into that new world, he, he does something that, you know, he's going to make a new beginning. So it's very appropriate for him to sacrifice to God. And he does. He takes the time to bring God's sacrifices. And that's a good thing. Jacob sacrifices. Uh, and, and when he does that, what he's really saying is, God, I acknowledge your leading in my life. You see, you know, as we worship tonight and uh, Jocelyn was just talking about, you know, laying it all down and just, you know, it's hard to follow the Lord, but we have to make that choice, amen? Amen. It's sacrifices that we make to God that show God and show us that, you know what, God is important in our lives. You know, we set plates on the altar and we have people come up as families and we give here. Why do we do that? To show that we honor God with our finances to show that we acknowledge him as our source. You know, it's not just for uh, Christian aerobics to get some exercise, you know, coming up and kneel. Maybe you're used to kneeling and maybe you want to get some kneeling in. So here we go. No, what we're doing is here is we're acknowledging, God, you're our source. You're our supply. It's not my strength. It's not my savvy. It's not my ability. It's not my intelligence. It's you. So when we sacrifice to God, we acknowledge him. God doesn't need money from us but we need to know who our source is. And the only proof that we've conquered greed is that we give. The Bible says you can serve God or mammon, that's God or money. So he makes a sacrifice here to the Lord because he's acknowledging, you know what God, uh, I know that you're leading me, you're guiding me, you're directing my steps and my decisions. You know, uh, he, he does you know, bring the sacrifice to the Lord because he needs God's favor in his life. He needs God's leading even into this unknown thing. But uh, Jacob has developed a relationship with God that is healthy. And even though it's not perfect and life hasn't been perfect for him, he has finally learned to reverence God. And so here he comes and He's appropriately bringing a sacrifice here. Uh, he's acknowledging God's leading. He's acknowledging that he needs God's blessing in his life. And Jacob reaches out to God uh, through the sacrifice, and God reaches back to him by speaking to him. Now notice this. He comes to Beersheba. He offers sacrifices, and then what? He, he extends himself to God, and God meets him. What does God do? He speaks to him through visions. And he, he affirms some things in his life. This is important here. In verse 2, you're, you're seeing this little dynamic take place, and there's a principle in here. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here am I. So he reaches out to God with the offering, and God reaches back to him by speaking to him. Now notice some things here. When God says his name two times, Jacob, Jacob, he re, when, when something like that happens in the word, when God speaks like that, uh, it, it's a sign that God's really trying to get someone's undivided attention. When things are said three times in scripture, it's for great emphasis. Notice when it talks about God in the heavenly places, holy, 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 three holies, right? It's for emphasis. Jacob, Jacob. He gives him two. He wants to get his complete attention, and Jacob's response is, here am I. Calling a person's name speaks of intimacy. Yes. You know? If God goes, hey, who are you? That's not a good sign. Right. 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 You know? He's looking through the book. What's this guy's name again? <laughs> No, he says, Jacob, Jacob. It's a sign of intimacy. He has a connection to him, and, and they are connected and they they have this type of relationship. He brings an offering. God, he reaches out to God. God reaches back. He begins to speak to him. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's got his attention. He's got something important to say. And Jacob's response is here am I. Listen to verse 3 here. There's so many, there's so many little gems hidden in verse 3. He said, I am God the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So God spoke to Israel in the vision. He says, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. And he said, I am God. Now, remember, God calls himself I am. So he's revealing himself to him as the great I am. I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make a great nation of you there. So there's a little exchange here. And God reveals himself, I am. He's basically showing uh, Jacob who he is. Now, the next thing he does is speaks to Jacob's fear. Now, you might say, Jacob is communing with God, and the first thing God says is, don't be afraid. And, you know, you might think, well, when did Jacob say he was afraid? Well, he didn't have to say he was afraid. God knew he was afraid. Do you know it's funny when we get before the Lord and we try and hide things? It's quite humorous. When we're afraid and we try and sound brave, you know, or when, when we don't have faith and we try and, you know, use big words in our prayer so it sounds like we do, yeah. come on, people. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit nothing tonight. So, you know, here he is, and he's got, he's got fear there, and God knows that there's fear there, and the, the first thing he does is he speaks to his fear. Now, what's Jacob afraid of? All the variables of the unknown. You know, there was no written uh, manifest or what he was supposed to do or how it was going to happen or a step-by-step layout. He didn't get a report from heaven and, you know, Jacob looked through it and I knew exactly how it was going to happen. There are a lot of variables and a lot of unknowns here. It not that just how our lives are? Lots of variables and lots of unknowns. You know, that's why we should always say, I'm going to do this and this if the Lord wills because we're not even promised tomorrow. You know, we act like we are, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this in my 401k and I'm going to live to 110 years old and I'm going to move here. and We act like we got this whole thing laid out. Now, I'm not telling you not to plan and not to prepare, but I am telling you not to be presumptuous because God is in control. And so, you know, it's you know, it's this situation here where he's revealing himself to him and he says, I know you're afraid. So he speaks right to his fear. He's afraid to go to Egypt uh, because there's a lot of unknowns there. Now, God engineered this move and, you know, he lost Joseph and now he's going to see Joseph again. God engineered Joseph's rise to power to make him second in command of Egypt. That's incredible. God even took a seven-year famine and turned that into the mechanism that drove Jacob into Egypt. Egypt. Think about that. Amazing how God can just let all these variables that he controls fall into place so that he can effectuate his plan for his people. Think about that. So, and here's God doing all that, and Jacob's afraid because he doesn't know the variables. God's revealing himself to him as the I am, and basically saying, I got this. Don't you see, you're going to understand how all these pieces have fallen into place. What I've done to get you here. I'm not going to abandon you now. See, and that's the way we need to feel about our own lives. Do you realize what God has done to get you here tonight? Do you realize the keeping power of God that's kept you? Most of us would be dead and in hell by now if God didn't step in and save us time after time after time after time. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I look back in times of my life, and I'm, that was close. Yeah. Even my guardian angel is going, "That was close." <laughs> you know, it's the variables, and we got to learn to trust God with the variables because He's put so much work into us. He's not going to abandon us now. Amen. And so, verse four contains three promises that speak to the fears here, and I want you to, I want you to check this out here. It says. Uh, well, basically, I'm going to lead you into Egypt to make you a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Let's stop right there. There are three powerful promises that God just spoke to him. Why did he say that? Because he, he's kind of, it seems like God's just pulling things out of the blue. Well, these were the things that Jacob feared the most. God is speaking to his fear. What's the first thing he says? I'll be with you in Egypt. That's important. That's important. Amen. Look, if God's with me, I'm not afraid. I'll go where he leads me. If I'm there by myself, I'm terrified. (laughs) I don't trust myself. I don't trust my decision-making. I don't trust. I need God with me. If God doesn't move, I'm not moving. And so Jacob's afraid that he's going to go into Egypt and he's going to get swallowed up in Egypt and you know the cultures and the customs and all of this stuff that he's kept himself away from and God says I'm going to be with you in Egypt. That's number 1. Number 2, he says I'll eventually bring you out of Egypt. Look at that. You know, I'm going to bring you in and I'm going to bring you out. That's so interesting to me. You know, God is basically telling him you're going to go there for a time, but it's not your final destination. How many know that God didn't raise up the Jewish people to live in Egypt? (laughs) (laughs) They have the promised land that he promised them. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again. So he goes, you're going in for a season. But you know what, I'm going to bring your people out eventually. So that was another fear that Jacob had. You know what, that maybe maybe what God has begun here is going to be swallowed up in this nation. And and that was surely a possibility, but God assures him that that's not going to happen. The last thing he says is, J- Joseph will close your eyes. Basically, what he's telling him there is that I'm going in with you, I'm going I'll bring your people out, but you're going to die there, and you're going to live with your son. He's going to be with you till the day you die. Think about that. He lost his son for such a long time. It broke his heart. It shattered him. Maybe he thinks, I'm going to go here. Maybe I'm not going to have access to Joseph. Maybe we can't stay. Maybe we're going to have to leave when the famine's over. God says, don't worry. You're going to be with your son till he closes your eyes. See, God knows what we're afraid of, and he knows how to speak to our fears, and he knows how to calm us. Us pretending we're not afraid is not helping the situation out at all. That's right. <laughs> you know, Jacob didn't come in with a list of fears. God, God knew, and so God spoke to those fears. When God leads us, he's going to take care of us. He's going to see us through. He's going to take us in, take us out, and provide for us while we're there. And so we're seeing this in Jacob's life, and we're seeing uh, the the... Just the faithfulness and the tenderness of God. You know, God didn't have to say any of this to him. God doesn't owe us an explanation. Pastor Mike, we can't go to God and go, you know, I'll do it, but you know, tell me exactly what you're gonna do so I can, no, God could just say, go. Go. And you know what choice we have? Go, Go. that's right. So, but see see the nature of God, the tenderness of God, like a father, he just calms the fears, amen? That's good for us to understand. Verse five, the sacrifices are done. God has spoken to his servant. He's calmed his fears. He's given him assurances. So the wagons are packed up and they leave Beersheba and they head to Egypt with all their things and all the wagons that Pharaoh had provided. Now I wanna point one thing out to you here. Think about this. Egypt is not a godly nation, right? They're, They're the epicenter of the world. They represent the world. There's all kinds of idolatry and witchcraft and all craziness there. Think about it. This nation that will eventually become a stronghold of Islam is protecting, sustaining, and providing deluxe accommodations for the fledgling Jewish nation to come in and survive the famine. (coughs) If you're not impressed with that, I quit (laughs) because that is totally God. You know, realize what's going on here. God has taken his people out of the promised land into really, you know, the, the territory of spi- their spiritual enemies. And he's like, we're going to bring you in. We'll send the wagons. We'll send the off moving trucks. We're going to take all your stuff. We're going to pack all your crystal up nice, make sure it doesn't break. And we're going to provide for you. We're going to give you a beautiful piece of land for all your pasture, and you're going to prosper here. Wow. Do you think Egypt would do that for Israel now? <laughs> no, it's amazing what God can do when he has a purpose. Verses 6 and 7 tell us they took all of their belongings. God had prospered them and they had a massive array of livestock and that was wealth back then. Jacob brings a lot of his stuff, but you know he packs up his things and he packs up his uh, herds and he packs up all the cattle. But the most important thing that he bring were not things, they were his descendants. You see, in 6 and 7 shows us that the most important thing here is God wanted to preserve those dis- descendants. Why? Because they were the future nation of Israel. They took the livestock and their property, verse 6, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Jacob and his descendants. It said, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. So that was the most important thing. He brought his descendants, the sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him into Egypt. So he brings his stuff, but that's not the most important thing he brings. It's the people, it's the descendants, sons and grandsons, daughters, granddaughters. We should never forget the old saying that says, the most important things in life are not things. (laughs) The most important things in life are not things. Now, listen to me. If you don't make idols out of things, God could bless you with a lot of nice things. God's not cheap. He's not frugal. He's not up in heaven going, you don't need that. Take the cheaper model. You know, I'm a cheap God. (laughs) I found out in my life, God has blessed me with the best many times with things I could never afford, with things I could never earn. Hello? Amen. So God wants to bless us. God, you know, but the minute we, you know, we forget about the blesser and we focus on the blessing, now we got to shop at Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Because not, God's not going to give us idols to worship. So he's got a lot of stuff, but it's not, you know, and he brings it with him, and that's okay. But the most important thing is to realize that the people were the most important. That's what this was all about. God was saving and sustaining the people. Um, you, you know, you can't take things with you to heaven. You know, you're not going to get through the pearly gates, you know, carrying your golf clubs and your, you know, your, your collection of this or that and, you know, dragging all your stuff. No, you're not getting through that way. you're going to come through covered in the blood of the lamb and that's all you're going to need to get in. And everything else is not going. So he brings the descendants and that's the most important thing verses 8 through 27. Now, this is where he lists the names of every person brought in to the land of Egypt. This this includes all the foundational pillars of the Jewish nation, the sons that are going to make the 12 tribes. Jacob brings his big family into Egypt, and strangely enough, it's the famine that people were starving, that the the reason that they're there, and they're going to be sustained. Now, this group of people would become the people of God. They're going to become the nation of Israel. Remember, we're studying the book of Genesis. It shows our origins, how things begin, how we were created, how God's people became a nation. And here, this is the fledgling nation of Israel. It might look like a ragtag group, a half-starved nomadic cattlemen, but that's only if you're looking with the natural eye. God saw who who they were. The Egyptians didn't know. For some reason, they just loved Joseph and wanted to have favor on his family, and that was good enough. That's all they needed to know. But every person comes in. Jacob's sons come to him through four women, two wives, Leah and Rachel, and two of their concubines, Zilpah and Bilhah. Now, I'm gonna get the ushers to help me here. If I can get two ushers to just help me pass these handouts out, my lovely assistant, Mrs. Kim. Did I say Mrs.? You, you go lot you go low. He goes high.. <laughs> um, this is a chart of all the descendants through, through the wives that they came, all the children and grandchildren, everyone he's bringing in. Now, as you're getting that passed out to you, I'm going to have Sister Kim come and read verses 8 through 27. Or actually, you could just read through 25. Yeah. Can you see that? Charts are fun, aren't they? You didn't get one? What? What? Wait, Josh is stealing extras. You. you didn't get one? Okay. Tom, you got you need to, okay. We'll get some more over here. Oh, you got more? I got I got two. I made enough. You gonna He doesn't share good. Oh, thank you. No. <laughs> I didn't realize passing them out was going to be so much fun. <laughs> are we ready? Thanks, ushers.
1: All righty, here we go. Verse 8. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben, Hanok and Palu and Hezron and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jachin and Zohar and Sheol. The son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamel. The sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puva, and Ayob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon and Jaeliel. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Petah and Aram with his daughter Dina. All his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion and Haggai, Shuni and Esbon, Eri and Erodi and Ereli. The sons of Asher, Imnah and Ishva and Ishvi and Bariah and their sister Sarah. And the sons of Bariah, Heber and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these 16 persons, the sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him, the sons of Benjamin, Bela, and Becher and Ashbel. Gera and Naaman, Ehai and Rosh, Muppam and Huppam and Ard.
0: Muppam and Huppam.
1: They were rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There were 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Husham, the sons of Naphtali, Jehaziel and Guni, and Jezer and Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all.
0: Thank you so much. So verse 26 says, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, including the not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons, wow, be fruitful and multiply. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob came, who came to Egypt were 70. So it, it's a massive entourage here. And uh, there again, it might seem you know like this is a big, powerful group here. But uh, there again, it's just the, the kind of the beginnings of a nation. What's going to come out of this? Remember the promise to Abraham is what? Your seed's going to be more numerous than the sands of the seashore. So, I mean, you know, this is, the, this is just a planting there. Um, and we're seeing all of this take place. Now, Israel's 12 sons through four women, they're going to be the leaders of the tribes of Israel. That, that, the formation of that will take place. Uh, Verse 28 here, they're en route to Egypt, and uh, Judah is given an assignment. Now notice, Judah's not the firstborn, but it seems like uh, his father could rely on him, so he's getting jobs to do. (laughs) You don't hear too much about Reuben after, you know, Joseph was lost under his care. So um, there's some family dynamics that are taking place here. Judah's given the assignment to go ahead of them, in Goshen, and there's a reason for this. It says, "Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph, so he sends an emissary out to point out the way before him to Goshen." And they came into the land of Goshen. So, what what this was here is this was uh, Jacob's way of being classy and cultural that he sent out someone before him to announce his coming. When you're showing up with seventy people, you want them to be prepared for you. Hello. Imagine if 70 of your family members showed up at your door tonight. All right, don't imagine that. We're having a good night. And so, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's a custom here. And there again, it's a sign of respect. Uh, you know, Jacob was really good at showing respect and giving, uh, you know, when he dealt with Esau, when he, when he deals with difficult situations, he knows how to be classy. He knows how to have good form. And that's something that, you know, all of us should try and adapt to and adopt, you know, it's okay, it, we don't need to be crass, and we don't need to be rude, and we should be accommodating, and we should, hello, you know, we should do these things as Christians. Yes. You know, it's, a, it's amazing how, you know, hospitality is like, you, you got to like beat people out of the congregation and make them join hospitality. I don't want to do that. You know, have people in my house. We, the way we live these days, it's like we live in these secluded, gated compounds. Yeah. You know, you got to pass through eight checkpoints to get to somebody's house. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be hospitable.
1: Amen.
0: A little one and a half amen. So he sends the emissary out. to mark the way. Judah isn't the firstborn yet. Jacob's learned to rely on him. And you know, that might strike his older brother as a a bit of an annoyance, but we don't hear any clamor about it. And I want to just point out one thing about this family. We've seen favoritism. We've seen, you know, the brothers kind of, you know, warring against each other, kind of natural sibling rivalry. But I'll say this, you know, every family member has strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, Nobody is the total package. You know, people say, oh, you're the golden boy. Oh, you're the black sheep. Nobody, as families, we need to learn to celebrate uh, the strengths of others. And we need to acknowledge our own weaknesses and not be competitive against each other. You know, maybe you can relate to that in your family. You know, you always have to, you know, brothers, and they always gotta, you know, just celebrate. Celebrate your differences and celebrate your strengths and weaknesses. And don't be so vitriolic towards each other. It's not, it's not a healthy thing. We see dysfunction in Jacob's family. We see, you know, the one who's not the firstborn leading here. Um, when the blessings are bestowed here in the end of the book, I mean, some of the blessings that come out, you know, uh, you wouldn't want to be some of these boys standing before their dad, but we're going to get to that. Verse 29, Joseph goes to Goshen and you know, he's prepared, he prepares a chariot, he goes to Goshen to meet up with his father and his family, and as soon as he sees them, as soon as they can get a hold of each other, he falls on his neck, and he weeps a long time. It says he wept on him a long time. So this was uh, an emotional release for Joseph that's been a long time coming. It's an emotional uh, release for Jacob here. You know, these two have been estranged, and y- you see the damage and the emotional damage that it's done, and you know, it really can't be downplayed. You kind of read it in scripture and it doesn't give much to it, but th- these were two, you know, a father and son here that loved each other and they were estranged from each other. And, you know, you might think, why, why did you do that, God? You know, isn't it amazing how, you know, people who are God's people go through difficult times of separation? They, they, ha- they have great losses in life. And you might think, God, isn't there any other way you can do things? D- this was the only way you had to break you know, you had to break Jacob's heart, you had to, you know, completely break Joseph, I mean, from the pit to the palace, uh, it was a long journey, and so, you know, God, is there any other way you can accomplish these things, and the the thing is, we, you know, that's above our pay grade, and why God God does things, have you ever, just be honest, have you ever just looked at some of the things, you know, in scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and go, man, that is a crazy way to get from point A to point B, (laughs) But there's so many little nuances that God's doing in those struggles, in those situations. There's so much refining in the lives of those people, amen? Things we can't see, things we can't measure, things we can't understand. The whys and the what-ifs of life, we've got to leave them to God and just trust Him. Jacob and Joseph had lost years that couldn't be recovered. Couldn't be recovered. Yet the kingdom of God costs individuals dearly to benefit the masses. These two men suffered. Why? To benefit the masses, to benefit the nation of Israel, to, to, to be able to be sustained in Egypt. The whole world's going through a famine to get Jacob into that spot where his, his family can just become a great nation. And, and, you know, there again, it's hard for us to understand, but many people sacrifice in the kingdom, and we benefit from it. The patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs, and most of all, Jesus paid a high price for us to be saved today. You know, you think they stoned and killed all the prophets. They martyred the early church members. The apostles were all murdered horribly, except for John. John was boiled in oil, and it didn't kill him. Then they sent him to the Isle of Patmos, and there he received the revelation. He got the book of Revelation plugged into him. That's the only reason God kept him alive. Peter's crucified upside down. I mean, you could look at everyone. What an end. And you know, and I think about the sacrifices that the early church fathers made and the patriarchs made, and you see the sacrifice here, and it's all, you know, it benefits us. And we should be mindful of that, we should be appreciative of that. Hebrews 12 calls them so great a cloud of witnesses. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, in that scripture is this. We don't have anything to complain about. The heavy lifting has been done for us by the early church fathers, by the patriarchs, and especially by Jesus Christ. Jesus has done the heavy lifting for us. Do you think about, you know, I think about this, how we complain about things. Oh God, it's so hard. God's like, no, it was hard back then. You got it easy. Sometimes the easier we got it, the more we feel like complaining about it. And You know, there's an old saying, I complained I had no shoes till I met the man who had no feet. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So, these guys paid a great price, father and son separated. You might say, why? It's to benefit us. It's to establish the, the kingdom. It's to establish the nation of Israel that the church has been born out of. All of this works together. Only God knows how it works, and he's in charge, and he's doing it perfectly. He doesn't need our advice. Verse 30, Israel expresses a feeling of completeness when he sees his son. He says, I can die now. I've seen you. is probably like, can you wait a few days? Right? He's like, we just, we're just reunited. What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm complete. I was a shattered man, a broken man. He said, I was bereaved of my children. I'll go down to Sheol, you know, mourning, but now I'm complete. Uh, you know, and it's like, Jacob is finally at the place where he's like, now I can die a happy man. That's basically what he's saying there. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a good thing. It's a good day for, for father and son there. Verse 31, Joseph tells his family that he's going to go inform Pharaoh that they've arrived. And the next verses, he preps them of what to say when Pharaoh questions them. Verses 32 and 33, will close the chapter. Joe wants his family, I call him Joe, you know, we go back a long way. Joe wants his family to dwell in Goshen for three reasons. Here's the three reasons Joseph wants his family in Goshen. Number one, Goshen is the least populated region in Egypt. Joseph doesn't want his family to put in the epicenter of the nation so that they would pick up the behaviors and the cultures and the customs of the Egyptians. He doesn't want them in the epicenter of the nation so that they'd be swallowed up by Egypt. So he puts them in a, a place that's remote in Goshen where they're gonna be alone. Number two, their occupation was shepherds and for some reason, the, the Egyptians hated shepherds. They found them loathsome. The word translated there is literally an abomination. Could you imagine, I mean, hey, hey what's your profession? Oh, we hate you guys. Well, welcome to the neighborhood. Joseph didn't want his family to lose their profession because there was something that was significant about them being shepherds, the whole theme of God being our shepherd and uh, that was their profession. He didn't want them to be looked down on so he puts them in Goshen and again, the remoteness of Goshen would insulate them from all of that. The third reason he wants them in Goshen is it's prime grazing land and it will lead to their prosperity. You're gonna see they bring their flocks in. This is prime grazing land. It's remote. There's nobody there. The Egyptians don't wanna have cattle. They don't like it. They don't want the job. So you guys take this and they're gonna increase so much that they're gonna be a problem for Egypt and we're gonna see that they're gonna have to, you know, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So there are strategic reasons why you know they are to be in Goshen. I gave you three of them. I'm sure there's more, but the chapter closes down here. A father and son reunited, God's people safe from the famine, exactly where he wants them. He's going to make them a great nation there. He's going to prosper them so wildly, and they're going to be so numerous that literally the nation will be born in Egypt. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the book of Genesis as we're, we're chugging our way through. Lord God, we thank you for showing us so much in there. Help us, Lord, to understand we can trust you and that even when you ask us to change and to move and to do things that we're not comfortable with, Lord, you brought us so far and invested so much in us. Help us to just have faith to trust you that when you say move, we move. God, you don't want to lead us with the bit and the bridle, but the still small voice. Make us spiritually mature enough to just take you at your word and not allow fear to make us miss the promise and not allow fear to keep us in famine and not allow fear to make us balk at your instructions. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.